0: If you brought a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to Luke chapter 10. We've been in a series called Refresh. Sometimes we just need to refresh. Sometimes when your internet browser gets stuck on something, you need to refresh it and it'll update with the newest information. And I feel like through the pandemic and a bit, we as a church, and not just our church, I could probably speak for the church at large... Um, We lost our way a little bit, our avenues of growth and self-care and community, all were disrupted and it kind of uh, threw us off a little bit. And this is just an invitation um, to get back to the main thing, and that's following Jesus. And we've listed out five pursuits of things that we as a faith family are going to actively pursue. This is what we're going after this is the goal. Like a, like a coach right before a game and he huddles the team around and he just reminds them of the objective today and he kind of lays it out. And then halftime he has to kind of redirect them again. Just one more reminder. This is the goal. This is what we're after. And I can be honest with you, for the first time in my life, I think I remember as a church, I feel like we're so close to missing what God is doing. I saw a meme yesterday that had a bunch of porta potties on fire and it was said if 2020 was a candle, a scented candle. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, touche. Here's here's the problem. We believe in the goodness of God, and we believe that God is at work. Let's not dismiss the hard times because we have settled or been attracted to a comfortable faith. Listen, Christianity, I don't know what, what kind of Christianity you're familiar with, but if you read, if you read the true gospels, the, the Jesus way, it is not a comfortable faith. To get followers, he said, if you want to be my disciple, you got to take up your cross. You know, the thing that you die on. Die to yourself and follow me. That's the call, that's the invitation. He would even tell them, hey, listen, count the cost before you come. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path, and few that are find it that lead into the kingdom of God. Jesus tells this parable in Matthew 25, I think it's a, phrased a little bit differently in Luke 17. I was reading it yesterday. of the parable of the talents you've heard this right it's a prince is going to go away and he's going to entrust this in this uh, monetary investment to his servants and he gives one five and one two and one one and then he leaves and he comes back later and they have to give an account for what they did with what's been invested into them first servant that had the five said, I took it and I invested it and I got ten and the other said yeah I got, took the two and I invested it and now I've got the four and the last guy says um, I, man I knew you were you tried to reap where you didn't sow I knew you were an unjust leader which reveals to him that he really didn't know the heart of the father but I took what you entrusted to me and I hid it in the ground. And Jesus, I rate in this parable he's telling, say, take what he's had from him. And the whole point of that is that it's in, in my heart, and this is what it just keeps coming back to my head, it's so easy to be around the king, but never be part of really the kingdom. It's so easy to not understand the heart of God. This servant knew that the heart of the father was not really the way that he portrayed it. He was not unjust, and yet he missed the heart of God. And I've been reading this Good Samaritan passage. This is, we've talked about in these pursuits that we're going we're to go after um, God, really walking with Jesus. Last week we talked about our pursuit of being a unified family. And today we're talking about this issue of justice and mercy. We seek justice and mercy. And in the world full of brokenness as it is, the church has a platform to shine like never before. Not through political campaigns or these broad agendas, but through serving the least of these. I kept reading this and God kept doing some things in my heart as I read it and read it and read it and read it and read it it this week. And I just kept thinking, God, our church is not ready for this. They are not ready to hear this. This is such a hard word. I just felt him remind me again and again. Luke, your job is not to know whether they're ready or not. Your job is just to point to me. So that's our goal. Let's just point to Jesus today. Jesus tells this in Luke chapter 10. In verse 25, and I'll read through the whole passage, and then I want to break it apart and give us some application along the way. The parable of the Good Samaritan, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Your translation, may say, trap him. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, Jesus said, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, I love this. Jesus is always answering questions with stories and more questions. For those linear thinkers in the room, it would be so hard (laughs) to follow Jesus. Wait, just tell me what, what I'm supposed to do. Jesus replied, a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite when he came to the place and saw him, he passed, too, on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him and bound up his wombs, pouring in oil, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay it when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus asked. And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This question that's posed by the lawyer is one of the most important and most basic questions that's asked by all of us. How do we inherit eternal life or how do I know that I'm going to get to heaven? This phrase would have been asked by many of the teachers of the law in that day and it wasn't speaking just on heaven but uh, what it means to have eternal life or a full and lasting life that begins now would even be their understanding and last of course into through, through eternity. Second, it's not a completely sincere question, at least that we know of. It says that he's trying to give a test to Jesus. I think the NIV says he's trying to trap Jesus. and The Greek doesn't necessarily convey that he has this with evil intent. He could have been a sincere seeker, but all the while they're trying to trap him. And so this is what's offered to Jesus. And then Jesus says to them in 26, what's written in the law, how do you read it? And this guy is the lawyer, Jesus is saying. You can almost hear some sarcasm come through. How, how do you read it? You're the experts. And then he goes back to the Old Testament, what they would have surmised is the law of Moses, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. It's likely that he heard Jesus even talk about this and what is the greatest commandment. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. And this story can be so familiar to us that we pass through it without really understanding. And so my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth in this story for your own heart. Don't just rush through it. I almost laughed when I read that the first time this week. That's a big old do. Do this and you will live. What does it mean, do this? To love God supremely. That you're going to love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your might and all of your strength. That he would be the foremost of your um, loves. That you would chase after him and your affection would follow him. And you wake up in the morning just so in love with walking with God and obeying what he's commanded you And just assuming that you could do that, do this and you'll live, Jesus says. And then the next one, to love everybody else as much as you love yourself, to care about your neighbor's needs as much as you care about your own, to rejoice in their happiness, to worry about their futures, to weep about their sorrows just as much as you do your own. Who in here could raise our hands and say, yeah, man, that's what the last few months of my life has been like. I just been loving God with everything I got and loving my neighbor as myself. Of course, of course not. In other words, Jesus is pointing to him that all of your actions will not get you to heaven. Then the lawyer desiring to justify himself says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? desiring to justify himself couldn't we camp out there the rest of the morning how many things have we told ourselves desiring to justify ourselves how many excuses have we given for our apathy towards the kingdom of God or walking with God seeking to justify ourselves well God you know you can't expect much from me through a pandemic you can't expect much from me with this workload you can't expect much from me Desiring to justify myself. I can't tell you how many times that I've sat across the office or a coffee table from someone. And these very things. There was one time I was counseling a guy and he was trying to divorce his wife because he wanted to go be a missionary. And she didn't. And I was like, bro, no no, man. Oh, geez. You missed it, my friend. Or how many... People justify pornography because their wife's not meeting their needs, or they—they just—we just—that's just just what we do. We just—even James would say that. It doesn't even take temptation to come in to get us to fall into sin. Even if the temptation's not there, we'll put the lure in the water ourselves, so that we can chase after something that we think will temporarily satisfy something that God is not ultimately satisfying in our life, and we will run after it. The lawyer seeking, desiring to justify himself says and who is my neighbor? He's already making at least three mistakes. One, he thinks that he can keep the first commandment on his own. He didn't ask, try to limit the scope of who the neighbor is. He didn't, he, he, he didn't try to limit the scope of what it meant to love God. And that's because the religious elite of the day had defined what it meant to love God, to really love God. And that's what they made the 600-something rules, that you can only walk so many days on the Sabbath. And you can only do this sort of thing. And you can only pray this sort of way. And this is what a good, God-fearing Jew does. They, they defined what it meant to love God instead of letting God define what it means to love God. And I feel like if we're not careful, and if we can be real honest, we do the same thing. We want to define what it really means to love God according to our own perspective. This is what it really means. And we think that way, and when we kill it, we're proud. And we look down on everyone else who can't love God to the degree that we have set up on, on our own. This is the first mistake he's making. You ever played a game with someone who changes the rules midway through the game to benefit themselves? You ever, anyone ever done that? No? I remember Leighton and myself and Lydia growing up, we would always play games as kids and we would always change the rules so that Lydia lost. Always. It was always, oh, we didn't tell you that? Yes, that is the safe word or whatever it was. Or that is base. Yeah, you know, you can't. We also used to tell her that uh, she would disappear if we closed our hands together. If we ever touched our hands, hey, Lydia, we need you to go get us a Sprite. And if we touch our hands, you're going to disappear. You better go. You better go. <laughs> she bought it for a couple of years and then no more after that. This is what this guy's doing. He's trying to change the rules midway through the game so he can just make himself feel better. His second was mistake was thinking that he could fulfill the commandment to love God with all that he had and still not possibly fulfill the second commandment of loving your neighbor. Because the two are tied together. When you love God with a heart that's full out for him, the result of that will always be supernatural love flowing in through you out to others, always. That's why First John says, you cannot say that you love God and hate your brother That man's a liar. His third mistake was in the way that he wanted to narrowly define his neighbor. You ever thought that? God, is my neighbor just the two on the the right and the left of me? Because the dude across the street, man, he is a piece of work over there. And if I could just, if these could be, if the neighbors could only be the people that I like. Can I just define my neighbors as just the people that I like? Maybe the neighbors are the ones who just are like me, the same stage of life, and they like the same things? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Notice the down from, he's going down in elevation, certainly. 3,000 feet between Jerusalem and Jericho. 17-mile stretch had these rocky outcroppings along it. It was the ideal place for robbers to hide. It was also known as the way of blood. It was such a dangerous road that even when Jesus would have brought it up, they would have been immediately thinking danger. Oh, man, that's a tough stretch of land. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. One commentary says that this was obviously a reckless and foolhardy character. People seldom attempted to go from Jerusalem to Jericho, uh, that road alone, if they were carrying goods or valuables. Seeking safety in numbers, they would have traveled in convoys or caravans. This man had no one but himself to blame for the plight in which he found himself. In other words, we might say that this guy was foolish and he deserved what he got for making this stupid decision. And surely this is what all the pious Jews would have been thinking even as Jesus told the story. Verse 31. This is like a a screw that Jesus just pushes in and turns it and turns it and it keeps getting deeper and deeper Now by chance this priest was going down the road and he saw him and he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. These these two are mentioned here partly because they're the most frequent travelers on this road. And partly to show that these were the persons from the nature of their office who would have been most likely to help. As a matter of fact in Jewish law they were required to help. To perform works of mercy on someone who was in distress. And yet, the audience could probably understand why they didn't. There's a list of excuses. This road's too dangerous for me to stop and help that guy. This might be an ambush. i got to go and get to the temple to serve the Lord. i got to get home and see my family. Somebody really should help that man. Maybe I can just pray for him. I don't know first aid. It's a hopeless cause. I'm only one person. The job's too big. On and on. But all these are simply excuses. And his commentary on this Spurgeon said this, I never knew a man refused to help the poor who failed to give at least one admirable excuse. The point is it would have been massively inconvenient and dangerous and expensive to help this guy. Jesus continues, but a Samaritan, verse 33, as he journeyed, came to where he was and saw him and had compassion. Now You can almost hear the collective moan of the Samaritan that showed up in this story. The Jews hated the Samaritans. They were expecting a lowly Jew to be the hero of the day and it would shed light on the corrupt attitude of some of the religious leaders that Jesus so often exposed in such a setting. The Jews regarded the Samaritans to be unclean because they were half Jew and half Gentile, an offspring of the Assyrians who had conquered the northern part of Israel and had forced the Jews there to intermarry. Some rabbis taught that a Jew was forbidden to help a Gentile woman who was in distress giving birth because if he succeeded, all he did was help one more Gentile come into the world. They often thought that Samaritans were worse than any other Gentiles. And in retaliation, the Samaritans hated the Jews. They retaliated by saying that they were the true people of God because they lived in the land of their father Joseph and were his descendants. And they built an alternate altar and said that theirs was the true altar. And so there's this racial violence between the two. To a Jew, the only good Samaritan was a dead one. Get this, Jews considered sharing the bread of a Samaritan as equal to eating the flesh of a pig which was the most defiled animal among them. And then the Samaritans weren't the nicest people either. They would frequently rob the caravans of Jews on their way to Jerusalem. It's in history books that they were known to desecrate the temple on the eve of the Passover by using a catapult to catapult pigs inside of it so they would desecrate everything that they came into. So you can hear Jesus telling this story. There's a priest that passes by, and they're thinking, oh, he's gonna, oh, ooh, he's not helping. Oh, and a Levite, he's the, the the JV worship leader. Yeah, he's gonna do it. Sure. Yeah, he's got this. Nope. Then a Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw him and had compassion. And he went to him as bound up his wounds, pouring On oil and wine and when he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Notice the three things that the good Samaritan does before we bring a little application of this. I guess this in and of its sense is some application. One, he took notice. He took notice. Two, he had compassion. And three, he met a need. This is the posture of the Good Samaritan. It's why we call him good. A Jew, his enemies laying in the ditch, beaten and robbed and without any close. And we see that he took notice. He had the awareness to see the need. He came close. Remember the priest and the Levite? What did they do? They didn't even want to get close. They saw trouble and they passed by on the other side. But the Samaritan came close. He came to where he was. He saw him. Friends, how many opportunities do we miss every day to be Jesus to people in a broken world just because we don't see the people in front of us? Our agendas are so scheduled. We've got the job to accomplish, and oftentimes if we're not careful, the job Or even the ministry that we're doing takes precedence over the people that God is sending us to. So focused on our schedule and our world that we don't even notice the brokenness, the hurting, the confused around us. We were sent to be missionaries, but often we look more like tourists. Just taking from what the world has to offer He took notice. Next, he had compassion. It says that there in the verse 33 and when he saw him, he had compassion. This word compassion is so strong in the Greek, it literally means that his gut ached. You ever miss someone so much that it, your gut just ached you just needed to see them you are so homesick for something you ever got a terrible phone call from a doctor's office and it was not the news that you wanted or expected and your gut just ached or maybe of a loved one you ever seen your kids walk through something so difficult and you couldn't help as a parent and your heart just goes out to them and your even your gut begins to ache that that's the kind of that's the kind of compassion that he's talking about here Not like, oh man, this guy needs some help and I've got some resources, I'm going to do it. No, but this is a heart level caring for the person. Which would have been so foreign for the audience that Jesus is telling this. Wait, what do you mean? A Samaritan cared that much? I couldn't help but read this and not think of all the times that it says Jesus was filled with compassion. In Mark 6 34, he went ashore and he saw a great crowd and he had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. Or in Luke 7, Jesus happens upon this funeral and his heart goes out to this mom. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, carried out, the only son of his mother. And she was a widow and had considerable, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. And he said to her, do not weep. And he came up and he touched the thing they're carrying the casket on. The pallbearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. This is what we see here. That compassion led to action. It wasn't just seeing the need. It was the heart, gut level response to that need that he had compassion I mean, I guess the greatest way that we could explain this kind of love in today's language is, is the heart of a mom for her kids or a dad for her kids. Can you imagine what kind of trouble that your kid would be in that wouldn't just stir up in you? Your kid ever been bullied at school? And as a dad, you just want to just go beat some kids up? Like, that's just a gut-level response. Oh, man, I'm going to look for cameras here, and then I'm just going to take care of somebody. Right? Like, that's like, oh, oh, I'll show you. We see Jesus. He had such compassion. And this is what Jesus wants to cultivate in our own hearts. Not that we just see the need, but that we have compassion, and then we meet the need. Verse 34, he went and bound up his wounds and pouring oil and wine and put him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This man met a need, not a convenient need. Not an inexpensive need. Not a clean and tidy kind of need. Oh, it's a homeless person, and he's asking for some change. I'm going to meet a need and give him a dollar that you can just pass and go right on. You know, this is much deeper than this. He helped the man. He bound up his wounds. He put himself his own, on his own animal. He took out two silver coins, two denarii, which is about two months' worth. fair to stay in a hotel on that day we've actually found documents and signs that say how much it costs to stay in an end it's one-thirtieth of a I would give you one night in a hotel so he covers two nights shows him how sick this guy was in the story it's about a month's paycheck that this good samaritan just gave to a stranger So he meets his need at great cost to himself. Remember the question that was asked of Jesus. The teacher of the law is trying to get eternal life through his own effort. And in doing so, he's trying to limit the scope of his ministry as to who he has to love as a neighbor. Is my neighbor just the guy right right around me, just the guy that I like? Verse 36, which of these three? Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? This man, he says, the one who showed him mercy. This man can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. He hates them that much. You remember the story? I think it's in just the next chapter or the chapter before. I think it's the chapter before where... Jesus sends the disciples ahead to go reserve a room and make provisions for their trip there through Samaria. No one would rent them a room. So James and John, I mean the two top dogs, I say, Jesus, should we just call down lightning on them? Can we just like can we just like arrange a drone missile just right on their heads? Like can, is it can we should we just blow them up? You ever see the brokenness around you? for honest, and you just want to destroy them? Jesus says, no, we're not gonna do that. I think partly this story is for his disciples more than it is the people that are watching. Because they had been that close to Jesus and still missed his heart. Tim Keller has an incredible commentary on this test text that he wrote a Bible study out of and he asked these three questions the who the when and the how much the who the when and the how much the who who's my neighbor the answer anyone who is in need anyone that we see in need that's the who the Samaritan and the Jew couldn't have had less in common in order to meet the need the Samaritan had to cross this incredible social barrier It's natural for us to help those who are like us. Those with whom we identify, those in our inner circle. Oh, you got a tree down in your yard? Let us cut it up. Oh, you lost your job? Let us take up a collection and help you get along. Or you're displaced? Come stay at our house. It's easy for us to meet needs of those people who are like us, that are in our same social circles. But when's the last time we crossed several social barriers in order to meet needs? But Jesus taught that we are to help those, especially those with whom we have very little in common. Even those who might have wronged us. This is what it means to love your enemies. I mean, this could be mean the person that you barely know or the person on the other side of the political aisle from you. Those whom you feel are suffering because of mistakes that they made themselves. This is the boss at work who's taken advantage of you. This is Muslim fle- Muslims fleeing from war torn countries. This is the illegal Im- immigrant who actually broke into our nation. This is what it means to love and care for them. And a quick caveat: I'm not saying the government's response to this. I'm saying I don't know what my response as a Jesus follower is to this. When I see people in need, the call is to meet the need. Anyone that we see in need—that's the who. Well, well, what's the when? Whenever it's needed. Christians come up with all kind of excuses for why they don't need to help someone in need. I've even heard someone say, even this week, I don't mind helping people who are truly victims to injustice. But those people over there don't really deserve my help. Their suffering is their own fault. And as soon as it came out of their mouth, I know that they've missed the heart of God. Who, anyone that has a need, when, whatever we see the need, how much at great cost to yourself? How much at great cost to yourself in order to help the Samaritan put himself at great personal risk and he uses his own money, even open up a line of credit. So how much do we help? The answer is until we share their burden. C.S. Lewis said it this way, the only safe rule when it comes to giving is to give more than you think you can spare. To give until it really pains you. Friends, this is the core of what it means to follow Jesus. Listen, let me say something. Believers in churches like ours We face a struggle, a particular temptation, like the priest and the Levite, that we're all into all the religious duties, reading the Bible and tithing and volunteering and community groups. And when you look at our lives, there's very little of us that actually give ourselves away, especially to those who aren't like us. It's what Jesus referred to in Matthew 23, one of the woe to you passages In verse 23, what are you, scribes and Pharisees? You tithe the mint and the dill and the cumin. They're tithing their spice rack. That's pretty impressive. But you neglect mercy and faithfulness. These you have all to have done without neglecting the others. In other words, the weighty part of the law is to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you want to be real honest and evaluate your walk with Jesus this morning, Maybe you would ask that very question. How much of your own resources and time is poured into others? Especially those who aren't like you. Church, this is where we're headed. We're going to seek justice and mercy. We're going to seek the heart of God. And I don't think we will ever make the news. We'll never make the fastest growing churches. We're, this is not what we're into. We're not after those things. blessings on those people who do that that is not who we are we are the grassroots grungy effort to follow the heart of God and I pray we do it to such an extent that the city would really miss us if we were not here because who's going to tutor those kids and who's going to love on those foster babies and who's who's going to support this and who's going to be there Jesus has sent us to do that we're the church me close with this way this is why Jesus puts an interesting twist to this story why would you have a Samaritan be the hero not just to annoy the Jews why not tell the story in a way in which the lawyer can identify himself with a person who would have offered to help why not say the priest came by then the Levite and then a really good loving Jew came by and then the lawyer can be like oh I gotta be like the loving Jew Jesus used a character who could not have been more different from the guy asking the question, and here's why. Because you're not the good Samaritan in the story. Jesus is the good Samaritan. What if the person we are to most sup- supposed to identify with is not the priest or the Levite or the good Samaritan, but the innkeeper, the one who had been entrusted to care for those who were broken? had been given resources to care for those who are broken at one point we were primarily like the guy bleeding on the side of the road desperate for help and no one to help us Jesus is the good Samaritan who put himself into the path of danger danger to took, took upon himself the suffering that we had caused ourselves through our sin and poured out his own resources to save us. Jesus is asking the man this question. If you were bleeding to death on the road and your only hope was an act of free grace from an enemy who didn't owe you anything, what would that do to you? After you had been rescued like that, what would your life then look like? Church, we got to get after the heart of Jesus. I've been reading through the Gospels, really started about the, I guess in May. I was feeling all disoriented through the pandemic, grieving the things that we had lost, looking towards the future. I just couldn't piece it all together. And just a return back to Jesus. It's been so joy-filling in my own heart just to see Jesus. Not the religious Jesus we've made him out to. No, no, Jesus. The exact representation of the Father. The one who told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus. The one who made the Samaritan the hero of almost every story in the book of Luke. The one who yelled at the religious leaders of the day. You ever played that pinata game at a birthday party? I told you, my family, we love to watch America's Funniest Videos. There's always a little section of pinata mistakes, right? Because we think it's a good idea to take a little kid and put a blindfold around him and spin him around five or ten times and give him a bat. Be like, have at it, bro. Somebody's always getting their tooth knocked out or window broken or whacked in the face. And I feel in a sense like this is what the church has become in the West. And I'm not speaking for all churches. We're blindfolded and dizzy and we're just swinging at things. It's new book releases and Christian spirituality and celebrity pastors. We're swinging at everything but Jesus. We're just throwing everything out the world but Jesus. Jesus. We're listening to all the podcasts and reading all the books, and yet we've forgotten the heart of Jesus. That's what reorients us. That's what re us. That's what gives us joy in life. The enemy has this brilliant strategy. Let's talk about everything around Jesus, but not Jesus. We'll talk about morality. We'll talk about politics and denominations. We'll talk about all of that stuff. and They're not bad in and of themselves, but that's not who we're here to serve, church. We've got to be the Jesus people. The Jesus people. Just as they first called the followers of the way Christians at Antioch because they looked like Jesus. So the world should be able to see us and not ask us what church we attend, but get from us this sweet aroma of Jesus. You want to find Jesus, we talked about this several months ago. He's going to be on that redemptive edge. Loving and going after the last, the lost, and the least. Jesus even said one time in his mission that he came to feed the hungry and clothe the naked and serve the prisoner. That's his heart. And this is what he's sending us to do, church. A man is no good that has just good theology, but no intimate walk with Jesus. I'm going to give you some space just right where you're at. And I want you to talk to God. Would you ask the Holy Spirit right where you're at that he would speak to you? That he would bring real convictions in places where you're off? Were you disoriented? You got spun around too many times? You can't see because of the blindfold? Everybody's yelling at you. You just don't know. Lord, show me the next right thing. Show me the next step. Show me what it means to notice the need and then have compassion and then meet the need at great cost to myself, just like you did for me, Jesus, when I was in the ditch. Dying because of my own sin an enemy of yours hostile in mind towards you yet in that moment when I was yet a sinner you loved me and left the glory of heaven to give your life for me Lord help me be that kind of of woman that would go so hard after you there's no limits that i put on on what you can do there's no people that i refuse to extend your love to you tell us we love because you first loved us you're working in us even today to will and to do according to your good pleasure need help we've grown apathetic we've grown confused we've let sin reign in our life we focused on the wrong things we're weak and weary and discouraged at a time when the world needs us the most we're swinging at a pinata